Thank you all so much for being here this morning. Happy New Year to you all. Hope everybody is uh, doing well. Uh, thank you for bringing the church into this sanctuary this morning. It's good to be able to gather, start the new year off uh, together to worship King Jesus. If you're gathered for Crosspoint at home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, dining room, wherever you happen to be tuning in from. Uh, but church, it's great to get this opportunity. Uh, we're gonna continue in this posture of worship as we've been worshiping through, through song and through the, the liturgy through prayer, and we ought to continue in our posture of worship through opening up the scriptures this morning. Just wanna say, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, uh, we've never been introduced. My name's Jamie. It's my great joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here uh, at Crosspoint and get to open up uh, God's word with you all this morning. Also uh, get to start a, a new series that'll explain more in just a moment. But I wanna invite you to turn to Micah chapter six. We're gonna look at verses six to eight this morning as a introduction really to this whole series that we're gonna be in in the month of January. So a couple of things, I want you to have God's word in front of you. So if you brought a Bible, certainly turn there. You can use one of the Bibles in the pews uh, this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take that one home with you. You can also scan the QR code that you see um, or go to thisiscp.church and uh, click that little next steps icon and you'll see a thing that says sermon notes that comes up. The text will be there, but um, just out of thankfulness, gratitude, reverence for God's word, if you're able, I wanna invite you to please stand as I read God's word this morning. When we get to verse eight, likely will be a very familiar verse. I'm guessing many of you have heard, but wanna have some context a bit. So I'm gonna read Micah 6, beginning in verse six through verse eight. Hear God's word this morning. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is God's word. You may be seated. So friends, this morning, uh, as we gather for the first Sunday of the, the new year, um, I am excited to, to be here. I hope you're excited uh, as well. And I wanna pose a, a question um, as we kind of get started, not only in the new year together, but this, this new series. Um, I don't know what your morning was like, but you made it here. So congratulations on, on that. Um, and so likely you had some sort of idea of a process to, uh, to get here. And I don't know what you were thinking about on the drive over but my guess is we tend to have this mentality of like, all right, Sunday, whew, like trying to get back into some, some new rhythms, habits, kind of got through all the holiday stuff. Um, and I want you to just consider this question for a moment. Like, do you realize what you're actually part of? Like you might be here this morning thinking, yeah, I think I'm part of this church service, right? Like I, I got here and that is true and that's wonderful and that, that's good, but there's far more that is happening. In fact, what I want us to be thinking about is like, do you and I realize what we're part of? Do you realize that you are part of the most important thing that is happening in the world today? That Jesus himself, the one who rules and reigns, the one who has accomplished everything, who is, if we're in him, we have his righteousness, we have this new life, we're part of this new creation, that you're part of the most important movement that has ever transpired in the history of humanity that ever will. And it's this movement of God where he is building his kingdom and he doesn't need you and he doesn't need me certainly, but he has chosen to invite us to participate, that he chosen to work in and through us, that Jesus said he would build his church 
and the gates of hell, literally nothing will be able to withstand the forward progress, the movement of the church, that Jesus is building his kingdom. And he says, like he said in the Lord's prayer, when his disciples asked him, like, how should we pray? Part of the request, one of the things that he taught them was this. He said, pray this way, your kingdom come Lord, that we would be surrendered to him, his purposes, his will to be part of the greatest thing that's happening in the world. Like that's what you're part of. You're like, oh, I thought I was here for church. You're part of this global worldwide movement of the gospel, Jesus' kingdom being expanded, your kingdom come. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this invitation to get as hyper-local as possible. It's an invitation to consider, okay, how are things in the heavenly realm? Well, that's where God's will is like being perfectly done the shalom, this flourishing, all of these things. And how can we join Jesus in this work? Not because we have anything to earn. He's earned it all for us, but we live in glad response to what he's done. And we get to be people that join in this prayer and we pray it and we ask that God might work in and through us that we might actually be part of the answer to this prayer coming true. And that we would get, we would think beyond our local, but we would also get really hyper-local with it. That you would think, about the neighborhood you're in, that you would think about the school that you're in, the workplace that you're in, the network of friendships that you have, the family that you have, that you would have a heart and a burden for Castleberry or Altamont or Winter Park or Maitland or Lake Mary, wherever God has placed you in the way that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and that you and I would be part of what the prophet Micah said in verse eight, where we read this calling to do justice that part of what it looks like to see God's kingdom expand in this world is to embrace this word, this Hebrew word. And this is something, this is the sixth year in a row that we've come back to this theme in the month of January. Our sermon series is titled a little bit differently, but it's that same theme. And it's this pursuit, this seeking together of mishpat. The Hebrew word mishpat is what gets translated as justice. And so we wanna explore that not only this morning, but in the weeks ahead, throughout the month of January to kind of just set the context for where, where we want to be about as Jesus's church, what it would look like to live surrendered to him, to find joy in those places, to celebrate as well as we'll have a chance on the, the last Sunday of this month to celebrate 15 years together as a church and to look back and celebrate, but then to ask God and plead with him, like do more. Would you use us to bring about Justice, would you use us to bring about mishpat? And we'll unpack that more in a moment. And so we'll look at different themes over the next few weeks, but today is really just this focus. And what does that word actually mean? What's this, this vision? How should we be thinking about that? So if you look with me back in Micah chapter six, I wanna give a little bit of context because obviously we're in the sixth chapter of this whole book. We kind of just get dropped down and it's not always great to just pick one verse. And I know there's more context that could, could be given, but I just wanna look at verses six and seven that kind of lead us into what's going on here. Like, why do we get this response of, hey, here's what's required of you, humanity, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly. Like, what precedes that? We're, like, what brought that about? And so if we look at the very beginning of verse, chapter six, verse six, the first part. I think a helpful thing to think is in terms of, there's a, uh, a request that's being made, but it's, it's birthed out of relationship. It's being birthed out of what is a really difficult season in the life of God's people. And it's a difficult season that they have brought upon themselves. And so we get some of these prophetic books to speak words 
not only to people back then, but to us here as well, to remind us that God has called us to live a life in a particular way. And what we find in this book is that God's people have honestly said no to Mishpah, and rather they have embraced injustice. They've not cared for the widow, the marginalized, the poor, the overlooked, but in fact, have oftentimes engaged in exploitation, terrible practices. And so they're in this spot where there's a threat of, of real exile that's gonna take place, all of the, these things. And so there's a question here, like there's this request where it says, with what shall I come before the Lord? Like there's a little bit of this, this recognition of like, oh my goodness, so he's sovereign. The Lord is ruling and reigning. He is holy. I can't be in his, his presence. Like how do we get this relationship restored? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God? on high. So it's helpful just to even stop and ask ourselves as we start this new year off together, do you have a big view of God? Do you have an Isaiah 6 sort of view of God where he gets a vision in the throne room of God and Isaiah is just completely undone? It's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, do we see rightly our, our need for him? And so there's some of that posture that's there, but as we're going to see in a moment, it's still misguided. What it's been taking place here as a group of people really that have begun to misunderstand their relationship. They were brought into a relationship with God who is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. And sadly, the move that has been taking place and what Micah is speaking of where there's God's word being written to us is there's been this movement from covenant to contract. That is, that is not a good and healthy progression. That's not progress at all. What you have is a movement where people, and we're gonna see this reflected in the rest of verse six and in verse seven, where there's this mindset that, oh, to be in the right relationship with God means it's up to me to do something. Forgetting that God is the one who's rescued his people. He has formed them as a people, right? Going all the way back to Abraham, that he chose this man who made into a great nation, that he blessed him so all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We're like, hey, how'd that work out? You're here this morning and so am I. Like it's been playing out for thousands of years. God's plans will not be thwarted. And so what we have is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. But sadly, you've got a group of people that have more embraced a contractual mindset. A mindset that just says, you know what? This looks appealing over here. Ooh, what are the other nations doing? What are they worshiping? Ooh, maybe they're having some success. Why don't we dabble in that? And that's never the calling this movement from covenant to contract. I mean, think about it th this way. It's meant to be the most intimate, loyal, faithful, this, this fidelity of this relationship, right? I have a covenant with my wife and I have a contract with T-Mobile. Those are very different things. At least they should be, right? One is like, oh, there's a better deal. Something better comes along. I can drop that. Maybe, you know, a little upgrade or whatever. You're thinking about your wife that way. That's not good, right? No, we're bound together. There's this oneness, this fidelity, this covenant. It's not a contract. And what God is after is this covenant relationship, but God's people violated it. And what we're gonna see is they kind of live with this contract sort of mindset. Look with me at verses, the back part of verse six into verse seven. And they begin to sort of propose some solutions. Oh, maybe this is how we, we get back. Maybe this is what we need to do. Like, if God's gonna love us, we gotta do the, these things. And so where there's been this relational unrest a bit, they make this request, like, what do we do? Now they bring some like resolutions. 
We tend to think about those things. My guess is maybe you've given some thought to resolutions at the start of the year, if for no other reason to be like, I hate resolutions, I'm not doing those. But we probably have thought about them, been aware of them, know that that's a thing that is, that is happening in this time. And those can be good things. But when it comes to our relationship with, with God and that he has bound himself to us, we forget that we've been brought into this, this covenant and we lose sight of that. What we're left with are just some lousy resolutions. And so look with me at verses six, the second part of it, 6b into seven. Here's what we find written here. Shall I come before him? Like, okay, what are we gonna do, right? For this restored relationship. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? It's this question of like, ooh, what's, what's a precious thing that I can gather? Let me, let me get this tender meat. Can I, can I offer that as a burnt offering? Now, the Lord, there are, there are stipulations in the Old Testament about offerings and, and all of that. But the heart here, again, this is a very contractual sort of mindset. Verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, what, what's happening here is, is a mindset, again, that's lost sight of covenant. And it's just thinking about like, okay, pressure's on me now. What do I need to do? Now, Let's put this in our context, right? Because the reality is my guess is none of you had resolutions this year. Like, you know what? I'm gonna show up with thousands of ramps to church every week, all right? That would just be weird. It's not gonna go well. Kids might have fun with it in kids ministry. I don't know. But like, the reality is like, no, like that's, that's their context. But can we be honest? There can still be this pervasive mindset where we lose sight of the fact that, that God has pursued us. And even when we're faithless, he continues to be faithful. And he's inviting us into a particular way to orient our lives so that we might actually find joy and life and a flourishing life. And so that our neighbors would as well. Like that's what he's after. There's nothing we have to do to earn the affection of God. And so what you have here is just like this list and it just keeps ramping up. I mean, it's, it's intended to be pretty hyperbolic. It's like, okay, well, I'll get a calf a year old. That might be somewhat normal. Or it's like, well, not just one ram, or 10 rams or 100 rams, but I'm gonna get thousands of them. Just keep bringing them in, keep putting them on the altar, keep sacrificing it. And God's like, I can't be bought, man. Like that mindset that you and I could do something to earn the affection of God, as if God can kind of be put in our back pocket, so to speak, like we've, we've got him. No, no, no. You're praying thousands of rivers of oil. Nope. And even if you go the most ex, ex, uh, like extreme modeling, not what God has invited us into, but the neighboring religious beliefs of, ooh, sacrifice your firstborn. He's like, that is not it. So if that's not it, let's look now at verse eight and let's be careful as we get into this because here's what I think can happen, all right? As we look at verse eight, I wanna put before you that verse eight does lay out like, it could be talked about, the, the word is being used here. What does the Lord require of you? But it's a requirement of us. It's a response to the grace that we have been given. And one of the best ways to think about this, and we've said this often at Crosspoint, when it's important to keep coming back, did God give Israel the law before or after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt? We gave it to him after Here's how you're to set up your life. Here's how you're to orient. Here's how you can be a blessing to the nations around you. He didn't say, well, obey this. Here's two stone tablets. If you get the top 10 right, maybe I'll liberate you. No, that's not what he did. He rescues them. He redeems them. He sets them free. And then he invites them 
into a, a way to live and to orient their lives so that they might actually experience joy, that God would get the glory that he deserves. And so as we look at verse eight, I don't want us to substitute one thing for the other to say, okay, well, he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want thousands of rams. He doesn't want rivers of oil. What he wants are, are these things as if it earns something. And I'm gonna unpack that more in a moment, but let's just look at verse eight again. He says, he has told you, oh man, or oh people, oh humanity, what is good? What honors God? What does the good life consist of? What does a flourishing life consist of? Not just for you, but also for the benefit of other people. How can they be brought into that? What does the Lord require of you? And we'll look at these in more detail in just a moment, but he has told you, I don't hear that as the way maybe like, uh, I'll put myself, you can critique your own parenting, but I know uh, for me, if you're, you know, as a parent, sometimes I'm like, uh, how many times I've been over that? I have told you, right? Like time and time again, like it, I don't, it's not a, he has told you, come on, get with the program. All right. But it is communicating to us when he says, he has told you, oh man, like this is not a mystery. This has been abundantly clear from the very beginning, God's heart, God's intention. And it's summarized here in the last part of verse eight. It says this, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so for a moment here, um, I wanna look at these things, but I wanna take them in sort of the, the reverse order and to help us kind of zero in on this call toward justice. And so it says first, like to walk humbly. And there's some difficulty people have even in translating this, like, okay, what, is it humbly? Another way to walk carefully. It can be thought of this to like be, like oriented toward God to be a, a full surrender to God. Also notice it's relational language, right? Like if we go up the, the road here to like Crane's Roost and go walk around the, the lake there, right? Like if you go up there by, by yourself and you see somebody like walking by themselves or maybe a group of people and you just kind of like roll up next to them, right? And you don't say anything, but you're just keeping pace with them and you're not getting ahead. You're not getting behind. You're just like right there with them. They're like, leave me alone, stalker. Like this is a weird thing, right? Like that would, that, you know, like walking, like it, it implies like relationship. There's conversation, you're growing together. You're in this movement together. So again, it's reminding us like, oh, we're, we're with God. We get to walk with God. And it's saying like, do it in such a way, like walk carefully with God. Consider, are you surrendered to what he wants? Well, what is it that he wants? Well, it starts to get a little bit more narrow when it says to love kindness. It can also be translated as mercy or to, to love like steadfast love, it's the Hebrew word has said. It's this idea of this, this faithfulness and moving together, walking humbly, walking carefully with the Lord in his ways. It, it literally is getting at the, this idea of, because it says love kindness or love mercy, right? Do you love to love other people? Like, what would that look like as like, a growing resolution for us as a church to be known as like, oh, like they don't just talk about loving people, but they actually love to love other people. Like what would motivate that? What would bring that about? We're gonna get to that more in just a few moments, but just think about that. That's what the language is here. It's not just talk about love. It's not begrudging love. It's like, no, you love, like you get up in the morning, you're like, I can't wait to find some people to love. Like I love to extend mercy and kindness. And hopefully you're beginning 
to see and connect some of the, the dots of like, oh, well, mercy, like I, I don't get what I deserve. So it's, it's implying too, like that you'll love people, not that just, not that they reciprocate, not just the people that are easy to love, but you're growing to love those people that are difficult to love and the people that are easy to love and everybody in between. What if that characterized us as a church? Imagine being known as that, that there might be all sorts of different thoughts and opinions about secondary matters, but we are unified around this call to love kindness. And then we get into this where it says to do justice. And this friends, again, is this Hebrew word, all right? It's this word mishpat. It's fun to say on three, ready? One, two, three, mishpats, all right? So this Hebrew word is a, a word that we've looked at together over the last several years. We wanna keep coming back to it because it so beautifully summarizes what we're invited into. It's another way of talking about when Jesus said, pray that like God's will would be done on earth here in our local context and around the world as it is in heaven. So what does it look like for you and I to be people that would seek mishpat, that we would seek justice. So one aspect of of justice is this retributive aspect of it, right? This retribution side of things where it's like, hey, somebody steals something from you. They they steal your car, right? And the police find it and that person gets brought to to court. Like like there there are things that happen. There's consequences for actions. It, It includes that. It's like the courtroom side of things. And yet, friends, it goes so beyond that. It includes, it's, it's what's so like radical and, and upside down countercultural, the way God speaks of this, what he means by it. Yes, it means this retributive side of things, but it's also embedded in is this idea of it's a restorative work. It's getting things back to how God intended them to be. It's making the places of brokenness, brokenness and darkness reflect more of how God originally intended things to be his shalom. It's bringing flourishing, not just to your life in your little world and domain, but to everybody that you come in contact with and that we're individually doing that, but also collectively as the church seeking ways to like, oh, we get to learn to love, to love people and to do justice. It's thought of as a right ordering of things. And the way the Bible talks about it We don't have time to get into all this, but I just want you to know, it's not spoken of as something that's optional. It's actually spoken of as a right that people have. And in particular, anytime you run across the word mishpat, it's referred to over 200 times in the Old Testament that it's going to appear, oftentimes paired with justice and righteousness, the tzedakah, mishpat and tzedakah, these words together. And it's so often in and around the places you see the word mishpat, you will find God referencing groups of people that he's saying, this is their God-given right to have a right ordering. And the four groups that are spoken of over and over and over again, sometimes all together, sometimes individually, but you will see over and over again that God speaks about mishpah for the widows, the orphans, for the immigrants, and for the poor. Does that mean those who don't fit in those categories don't deserve mishpat? No, no, no. Everybody still has that right. But God is saying, and it's, it's like impossible to avoid or miss if we're doing an honest reading of the scriptures to see like how often those groups of people, because nobody's advocating for them. The world doesn't naturally look out for those folks. And God is calling his people 
all the way back in the very beginning saying like, here's what I desire. I want you to see those that are most vulnerable. I want you to, to see those that are most marginalized, to see those that are most on the underside of power. I want you to see the people that nobody else sees. I want you to grow together as the people of God, to love the people that not everybody else will see to love. Will you grow in your love and affection? The New American Commentary says it this way, at the broadest level, there is a sense in which justice, in which Mishpat ultimately has in view the proper ordering of all society. Talk about a resolution for the new year, new year, right? What does Crosspoint want to be about? We want to be about the proper ordering of society. And you wonder like, oh, is that a big audacious goal? Is that something that like is going to take a lifetime? Yes. Is it something we can do in our own strength? Absolutely not. Are we called to, to do this so that God will love us more? No, there's nothing that you and I can do if we're in Christ that can get God to love us anymore. And there's nothing that we can do, our sin or rebellion to get him to love us any less. But he's saying, you've been saved by grace. It's Ephesians 2, chapter, verses eight to 10, right? By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the work of God. And then God calls us, he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What might it be? Think about it. In 2024, God has things that he prepared before time began when he made a plan to save you, to rescue you, me, to form us together, to bring us to be part of a particular church community in a particular time, in a particular place. He has good works prepared. I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are, but what an amazing thing that we get to wake up each day and be like, ooh, I wonder what the Lord has for me. What has he prepared beforehand that you and I get to walk in to see how can we be about this proper ordering of all society? What would it look like for you and I to be the church for the community that God has called us to be? Now, to help us with that, all right? Um, here's what I, I wanna invite you to do. At the end of the, the rows too, there should be like a little postcard printout thing. You can pass the, those down. I don't know if there's enough to go around. Um, you'll also see my lack of planning here because about nine o'clock last night, I was like, ooh, I bet I could get these things printed at Walgreens. They didn't come out quite so, so well, but um, if it's helpful to you, it'll be up on the screen. But my hope is as we talk about this idea of Mishpat and of seeking it together, that this would be a framework that we will be referring to over the next few weeks, but I hope it's something that actually sticks. Um, perhaps maybe even looks familiar to you. I went back and looked at my notes uh, about seven years ago. Uh, this framework I talked about in a sermon, I'm sure you all remember it if you were here, but in case you don't, because I had forgotten about it, um, I was like, oh, I'm gonna talk about this framework. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did that a few years ago. Anyway, it's worth revisiting. And for most, many of you, this is probably new, at least new in your time at Crosspoint. Uh, it comes from an author by the name of Andy Crouch, all right? Um, I think all of his books are super helpful, but this one called Strong and Weak. And I wanna talk about this for a moment, all right? The whole book's worthwhile. Um, I'm gonna unpack it over the next three hours. It's gonna be wonderful. Um, but to try and take just a few minutes to distill it down, which is almost impossible to do, but he gives this sort of two by two little grid as a framework and though he's not using throughout the word mishpat, he is talking a lot about justice. And he's talking about this idea of what does it look like to see like people flourish? And what does it look like as the church, not only for us to flourish, but to help other people flourish, to join God in this renewal of all things. And so to bring this flourishing about, let's want to pose a question. It's a question that he poses throughout the book in the, like throughout the introduction, I should say, because we tend to think in binaries, I think, right? 
either good or bad, right? it's strong or, or weak. And so as we think about bringing about flourishing, you know, the question is like, well, should you be strong or should you be weak? Like what's gonna best bring that about? And we could probably go through and talk about the pros and cons of like what might be needed. But what he's setting us up for is like, the answer is yes. Like the answer is both. Like the calling to really flourish together, all right? And for the benefit of other people's flourishing is that we are called to embrace both our strength, as he'll talk about our authority that we're given, but also our weakness, our vulnerability. So here's, it's really hard to, to, to read on that uh, little printout, but um, here uh, it's just a couple of definitions. My hope is that this gets unpacked as we look at even specific things over the next few weeks together in January. But think about it this way, strength, means you're made in the image of God. We looked at this in our series in Genesis. It means you've been given like dominion over this world. There's an authority that you and I have as image bearers. And it's this idea of capacity for meaningful action. Meaningful is the key word there, right? Um, like I could maybe walk back here and pick up the guitar if Jeff would let me or go to the, the drums, you know, and just start hammering away or doing whatever, uh, that would be action, but it would not be meaningful. It would be horrific. And none of you would be excited about that because I have no ability to play this thing. So it's not just any sort of action, but it's meaningful. Like, do you have authority? Meaning, ha have you actually put in the time that there's a, there's a mastery almost of a craft of which, oh, like I actually can do this, All right? So authority on one hand, but also a key to a flourishing life, to a right ordering, to a mishpat, is there has to be a weakness, a vulnerability, meaning exposure to meaningful risk. Not risk for risk's sake, not stupidity, but actual risk. And when that happens, here's kind of the quadrant that, that you see here on this kind of axis. As our authority increases, all right, and then our vulnerability increases, so vertically authority horizontal to, to the right, that's the quadrant. It's like, oh, and where do we wanna help other people get to? When we talk as a church, even our mission of pointing people to Jesus, like we want them in that upper right quadrant. Like how do we help people? What would that actually look like? And so it takes both authority and vulnerability. Like there's, again, one of the ways to think about that is just sort of like mastering like a, a craft or having a, an ability right? I told you my wife a couple of weeks ago had surgery to have her appendix removed. Um, you know, despite all the YouTube videos I watched, they did not invite me into the OR to go help with that, right? Um, so no, no, the expert was there who was there to bring meaningful action, all right? That there was authority, but there was a vulnerability. The vulnerability for her, but there's a vulnerability for the doctor, for the surgeon as well, right? That, that's part of what this, what's so beautiful about these things, like when those two things come together. Maybe another way to think about this or just an example from pop culture. Uh, perhaps you've seen this documentary that came out a couple of years ago about Alex Honnold, all right? And he is a, a rock climber, mountain climber, um, and, it, it, and just has climbed, ascended some of the, the most amazing places to climb um, in all of the world. Um, and so here's a picture of him as he's getting ready to embark. He's in Yosemite, that's El Capitan. It's 3,000 some feet of granite, right? And he's gonna, he's gonna climb that. Now, if you know the story, right? It would be an incredible feat to be able to climb that. But this guy in this documentary called Free Solo decides to do it with no harness, no ropes, no protective equipment at all. So like, here's him, literally, this is part of the, the view, right? There he is, there's nothing holding him in. So talk about authority, right? 
this meaningful action, um, but also the, the, there's tremendous risk. Now, if there's no risk, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's boring. We might not tune in, all right? And if it's me trying to do that, it's just like, oh gosh, I can't, right? It's like, no, no, that's just stupidity. But for him, it's like, wow, these things coming together. There's an aspect there of flourishing. Now, the call is not to make everybody in life do that. Don't hear it that way. But just, it's a picture of those two things coming together. So we could look at that and think, cool, let's just live in quadrant one. We're good to go, right? Everybody good? Quadrant one, here we go, right? But the reality is there's always things that pull us away. Every single one of us are being discipled every moment of every day, either by the gospel of Jesus or by competing narratives that want to pull us. And so the things that I want to talk about that are in this this book by way of summary are just two aspects, particularly where we see our idolatry at play. And so one is we could end up in the third quadrant, which is this withdrawing. So rather than being in the place of flourishing, it's withdrawing. Now, every single one of us was born in this place, meaning you were an infant who had no authority. You could do no real meaningful action, all right? And you had incredible vulnerability. Vulnerability literally speaks of this, the ability to be wounded. It's every one of us started out that way. But in most cases, right? Like you grow, you move beyond that. But the great temptation, this is where there's an idol of comfort that begins to play in. And we're like, man, it's too scary. I don't know if I wanna engage in meaningful action. I don't know if God has equipped me to do this. I don't know if I want to risk reputation. I don't know if I wanna share the gospel with somebody. I don't know if I wanna serve because I don't wanna risk my time and the comfort of my calendar and just leaving home. And what we end up doing if we're not careful is we begin to insulate ourselves. And perhaps one of the most dangerous places in the world to live for that is right here because there's incredible amounts of wealth and entertainment options and all these things. And none of those things, I don't think God is saying those things are bad, but if we're not careful, it becomes sort of this picture of like, we're just wrapping ourselves up in more and more bubble wrap. We're like, we wanna be safe. We want our kids to be safe and all of this. And listen, safety is a good thing, but it's not the flourishing life. Crouch in the book gives a couple other examples. He says, for one, um, he's like, I went on my first cruise um, a few uh, weeks ago. That's a wonderful experience, all right? Wanna know why? Because it's sort of like the place of, there's so much, like, there doesn't feel like there's any risk. I mean, I guess there are those horrible cruise ship stories that you see on TikTok or in Instagram, right? That, but, but by and large, right? Like people are like, you're just kind of there and you're enjoying it. And people are waiting on you, you get all that. But to be on that forever is not the life that we're called to live. It's great for a vacation, but like the eternal cruise, that's not the flourishing life. Or you think about what is a huge draw, it eclipses even our, in the entertainment industry, movies, is the, the investment, the billions of dollars that are spent in video games. Now, if you're a gamer, like it's not saying you should never do that. No, that's terrible. That's not the message here. But can we recognize that there's a faux sense of authority and vulnerability, right? Just because you're good at Madden doesn't mean you can actually play football, right? My thumbs hurt, whatever. Like, so the truth is we sometimes can engage in things that cause us to further withdraw because we're after comfort and God is inviting us into so much more. And we're never gonna help other people experience what God has for them if we go there. So sometimes then it's like, okay, well, let's, okay, we can't live in that camp. Well, let's have a lot of authority. And authority rightly uses a good thing, but if there's no vulnerability, we end up in this upper left quadrant. The Crouch talks about is exploiting. 
And certainly the most extreme examples are those that are like dictators, right? And they're exploiting people and they're abusing people. And sure, that, that fits. It's all authority, no vulnerability. But if we're honest, ever since the garden, this story has been playing out for you and for me that we are people that keep reaching for all authority. This is an idol of control trying to minimize risk, not have any vulnerability. We wanna cover up, we don't wanna be seen, we just wanna have control and it will not actually lead to the life that we're called to lead. We see this play out, right? We see this play out in all sorts of different ways. This is not, again, I keep using examples that I have to caveat by like, hey, we're not anti-video games, we're not, all right? I'm not anti-alcohol, but is it true that sometimes people, like you imagine walking into like a group of, of new people and you don't know anybody, but suddenly having a drink in your hand, start to, you start to feel a little bit better about yourself. And the more you consume of that, the more sort of authority that, that, you, that you feel, all right? You feel less vulnerable. You feel like you can actually be yourself. And then you can see where, hey, a good gift that can end up being abused and you end up down this path of addiction and you start needing more and more of that, thinking that it's ultimately gonna bring life and flourishing, but actually at the end of the day, ends up leaving you completely vulnerable. And this train wreck, not only you, but your, your friendships, those closest relationships to you. This is another picture of exploiting. It's moving in that direction. The psalmist would say in Psalm 115, those who make them become like them and so do all who trust in them. When we trust in these idols of control or comfort, at the end of the day, they don't actually deliver and we just become like them, robbed of joy, of vitality. So Crouch in his book says this then, Let's recognize, he says, every leader in every community, whether we like it or not, is implicated in the cosmic rebellion that denies that vulnerability leads to flourishing. Like we don't wanna think that way. Vulnerability, no, that's too hard. I don't wanna open myself up to be wounded. I just wanna be insulator. I wanna have all the control. Other people can deal with being vulnerable, but there will be no mishpat. There will be no flourishing if we go down this path. What could truly break the power of that rebellion? He asks, he continues and he says this, if someone were to dramatically empty himself of authority, voluntarily giving up the capacity for meaningful action, be handed over to the most exploitative forces in our cosmos and go to the land of the dead, the realm of those who have lost all capacity for action. And if that same person were to return rescued fully alive, indeed with far more authority than we had ever seen or imagined, such a complete sacrifice, and victory might conclusively unmask the lie that is at the heart of exploitation. There's a call here and it involves the second quadrant. And it is this, that the only way we're gonna see this flourishing, this right ordering, this mishpat, this, this life that Jesus invites us into, like sometimes there's just suffering because we live in the world and it's broken. And there are things that, are, that happen to us. Like every single one of us has experienced this, right? Tons of vulnerability, and no authority to change anything. I don't know how to get out of this mess. I don't know what's happening. It's either things that have done to you or even mess you've gotten yourself into. And it's the realm of suffering. That's very real. If you're like, oh, I've never experienced that. Like live another day or two and you'll get there, right? Like it's just, it happens to all of us. But what this is speaking of and that, that quote is getting at is what would it look like for you and I to choose suffering to choose an emptying of ourselves, to choose to make ourselves more vulnerable, to open ourselves up to being wounded. And that's a terrifying place to be, right? To open ourselves up to, to know somebody well, 
And for them to know you, to know your places of weakness, your insecurities, like there's nobody that can wound you as much as those that are close to you because they know you. And so over time and burned relationships and hardships, we can begin to oh, just more bubble wrap. Let me keep going. Let me insulate. I, 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 let me just retreat. Let me withdraw a bit. And what would it look like to see that the God of the universe is the one who stepped in, that the God of the universe is the one who condescended to us, to see that the one who brings us into the realm of flourishing is because of Jesus who went into the ultimate depths of suffering so that we might be brought into that place of mishpat, of a right ordering. Friends, this is what Philippians chapter two is speaking of. So hear these words. As Paul asks us to consider, in this, what likely was this ancient hymn, people would have sang together. And he's saying, look not to your own interests. Like, yeah, you got to take care of yourself, but like, look to the interests of other people. You want to see other people flourish. We want to be about this right ordering. We want to see justice being done. We want to love to love other people. Like what fuels that? Is it us getting a plan together and we march out of here? Like, let's go cross point together. Or is it us clinging to the grace and mercy of Jesus and realizing, oh my goodness, he descended to the dead. He descended into that second quadrant. He took on the ultimate suffering so that you and I could be brought up. And the more that changes our hearts, the more we come to grips with that, the more we'll be able to do that for the good of other people. Paul says this, then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had all authority and yet he relinquished it. He did not grasp onto it, but rather let it go. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about vulnerability? I mean, it's, it's for our eyes and just some of our just kind of like, modern culture that we don't see it depicted actually the way it was. There, there's no little loincloth on Jesus. He's stripped completely naked. The flesh is ripped off his back. People are mocking him as they, as they pass by. Oh, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's got the crown of thorns, right? He's nailed arms and feet on a Roman execution device. There's nothing, uh, no greater picture of vulnerability. He's opened himself to be wounded for you and me, for our sins, our rebellion, us choosing comfort, control, keep reaching for the fruit, thinking, I want my kingdom. I want my world. And Jesus willingly goes for the joy set before him. He endures the cross. So Paul is saying, he's done this. He has descended. Let that motivate you. And then he says, therefore, God is highly exalted. The way of Jesus is this downward descent, the life of the cross that leads to resurrection. He's exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. You know what that's describing? That's describing a flourishing life. Where we're all bowing the knee to Jesus. We're all confessing that he is Lord and that he is savior. And the only way we get there is when we realize what Jesus has done for us. And then we invite other people and say, look what he's done for me. He has done this for you as well. And so we go and we serve and we love not to earn anything. It's all been earned by Jesus. But we go in glad response to like, he has brought a right ordering to my life. I'm so grateful. And so we can now empty ourselves for the good of others. We cannot grasp onto our schedules, 
and our financial resources or our being inconvenienced. Like we're like, no, we just, we let it all go. What it is, is an invitation to the cross-shaped life. Asking ourselves not only this morning, but in the weeks ahead and throughout 2024, will we individually and collectively as a church embrace this downward descent to see that Jesus descended In a moment, we're gonna partake in this meal and it's this reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus that he descended into the realm of ultimate suffering so that you and I could experience the Mishpat, that we could experience a justice, a right ordering, a flourishing. Close with this last quote. We do not lack for authority, Crouch writes. In Christ, we have all authority we need and more. All things are yours, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, but what unlocks that authority is the willingness to expose ourselves to meaningful loss, to become vulnerable, woundable in the world. For this too is what it means to bear the divine image. If the one, this is so beautiful, if the one through whom all things were made spoke into being a world where he himself could be be betrayed, wounded and killed, what we are missing to become like him is not ultimately more authority, it's more vulnerability. This meal, friends, is a reminder of the vulnerability of our God. May we this year, the power of the gospel, embrace that vulnerability, the good of our neighbor, for the glory of God and for our deep gladness and joy. Let me pray for us and I'll give us some instruction how we continue, well, as we continue in worship. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation that we get to be about seeking Mishpat that Jesus, you came and you brought ultimate justice, that you brought love and mercy and grace. We thank you that you invite us into that life to be about seeing your church built, to see your kingdom expand. God, may we believe your word, that that's the best possible way to live. Um, And so God, I pray that you would use us in all the various places that you've put us. God, help us to be used by you to bring about this right ordering. But more than anything, God, may we today, the days ahead throughout this year, may we embrace and be reminded over and over again, Jesus, how you were made vulnerable, born as an infant, who would grow up to live a sinless life and then die a death that we deserved, wounded for us, wounded for our transgressions. But Jesus, we thank you that that was not the end of the story, but that there was resurrection and exaltation. And we thank you that you are right now ruling and reigning. And one day you're going to come back and you're going to bring an ultimate mishpah. You're going to set everything right. And in that time in between, would you use us, God, for your glory, for our joy, for the good of our neighbors, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.